Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and six minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the experience of flying Jolly in ANA. Airbus finally gets new A380 orders. The fantastic Virgin America online booking experience. Smart carry-ons are starting to cause problems in security. Air gets a new fleet. The race of the longest commercial flight in the world is on. Boeing's earnings are flying. It's 737 MAX 2. What's the best airline's business seat? As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast signal sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 33 to Haneda. Hi, Alex. Tokyo, finally Tokyo. <laughs> it's taken so, us 33 episodes to get here. And we did a race. We did. Uh, so it was unfair because actually the race was not won in disguise. Right? <laughs> no, it was not. It was uh, Heathrow taxiways. <laughs> <laughs> you filmed me taking over you and I filmed you when I was taking over you. So it was really funny because uh, so you were flying JAL, I was flying ANA. Both exactly at the same time in uh, Heathrow, and we saw each other in the window. I mean, we saw each other. I was like, oh, this is Alex playing here. <laughs> it's interesting, though, isn't it, that they fly ex- – the pushback time is exactly the same and the arrival time is exactly the same. And the only other flight on that route is BA, who leave much earlier in the day. I don't I don't know what, yeah. what, what it is. But, uh, yeah, it, it, made, it made for a fun story because uh, – we could, uh, we, like you say, we could see each other, and of course, we arrived at the same time, so we got to to navigate uh, the Haneda arrivals and monorail, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, it was fun. So, how was your experience with John? Excellent, absolutely. And I should preface this by saying that they flew us out there uh, for the show. So, but I, what I am about to tell you is is all of my own opinion. It was outstanding. I think they have the biggest economy seat on any international route. That's the, that's oh, what they, wow. they claim anyway, and it was. Really comfortable. The seat pitch was like nothing I've ever seen in economy. Food was amazing. Service was incredible. Yeah, service yeah. in Japanese airlines oh. is always incredible, to be honest. Now that you've tasted it, you'll, yeah, you'll it was, see the difference. It was, right? uh, the whole experience was really, really good. Good IFE. It was a 777-300, um, so just a great airplane anyway. But yeah, I was I was super impressed. So I flew ANA. Uh, also, the f- uh, it was my f- second time... ANA on international. I used to fly in ANA a lot on domestic when I was living in Japan. Also, very good experience. But I was in premium on the on one way, so that was really that was really cool. Uh, the seat, perfect. Honestly, it's uh, the, ser- the the service. The service is the thing that was really outstanding. You know, it's uh, because it's not too much in your face. It's uh, very reserved, but at the same time, it's always there when you need it. The, the food was excellent. I chose the Japanese options. Usually on these Japanese airlines, you have the Western option or the Japanese option. I chose the Japanese. was delicious. Nice. It's also more healthy, I think. Uh, so it was really a fantastic flight. Very long flights. It was, uh, how, how long did you take to get there? Uh, 11.45, something like that. Yeah, 11 hours, 45. Actually, in the show, we, we'll talk about the very these very long haul flights uh, today. So yeah, it was it was a fantastic experience also the ife was good i've been flying a lot these past two months meaning that the yeah, ife yeah. There was a lot of stuff that i'd already <laughs> seen it's funny how you know on the layout so if you look at the layouts i was flying a triple seven uh on the layout on of the business class they say you know that all the seats looked as they are on the window each of them has a little small table next to the seat if the table is next to the window, they don't call it, for instance, A, they call it C, your seat. Ah, that's very clever. And that's very honest yeah. as well, because although you have a window, there's no one next to you. It's still a C seat. So it's, yeah, I found that very, not all airlines do that. I think Emirates does that as well on the A380. They also say C for a seat that is not next to the window. Although again, here at the table, I would say something, I know it's first world problem when we're talking about the business class products, because of course not everybody can fly these. Uh, there was not a lot of storage. Uh, eh. 
that you don't know where to put your stuff basically. So that's the only thing I would say it's a bit of a downside. And the other downside would be there was only the, you know, the electrical plug, the USB and the power socket were below the screen. So there was no, you couldn't put them on the table. You had to put them in front of you somewhere. Uh, so that was a bit, but I mean, honestly, this is first of all problems. It was a great experience. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, ahead. I have to say Jal have had the USB and, and full power plug in every seat in economy. You told me that the, the, the screens were pretty big. They actually. were big, they were very big, very responsive, great little remote, good content. Uh, yeah, uh, Japanese airlines, I mean, wow. Yeah, absolutely. So the, th- the, th- the thing is, what was very surprising to me is that my flight was almost empty. I mean, almost empty. It's maybe an overstatement, but I mean, uh, in the business class section, there was three sections, you know, separated by the galleys. It must have been like the load factor must have been thirty percent, which wow. is really low. I asked a friend on the ground there. Uh, I said, "What is up with that?" I mean, it's. I know it was a Sunday, so maybe it was not the busiest day ever, but still. And he mentioned to me that after the multiple attacks, terror attacks in Europe, of course, the ones in Paris, but kind of the stuff that happens in Turkey. I know it's not next door, but there's this whole thing. There was a huge drop in passenger traffic from Japan to Europe. Uh, those people were scared to come to Europe and are still actually JAL has it still has suspended its Paris uh, service. I think it hasn't started yet. It might start again uh, really? in March. Yes. Meaning, so maybe that explains why it was so empty. I'm not sure, honestly, right? The thing is, the only the other difference for those who don't know, JAL is the flag carrier. Uh, ANA is more the, the second that appeared later um, after JAL. And probably there's a loyalty uh, of a lot of Japanese corporations to fly JAL and pro- maybe less with ANA. So maybe JAL has better load factors when it comes to business people. I'm not sure about that either. That's interesting. The thing is, and I'll, I'll talk about it now because that was my biggest disappointment at this huge trip. And I was supposed to fly the Star Wars yeah. plane on the, way, <laughs> on the way back. And also, for the first time, I would have flown the 787. Uh, but of course, so all the calculations were correct. I had made phone calls to the PR ANA, had friends in Japan made calls because they had gold status or diamond status ANA. When is the Star Wars plane flying to Europe? And I had a few dates. And I had put an alert to Plane Finder and Flight Radar 24 to know exactly when it was flying. And for my whole week in Japan and then Las Vegas, I'll explain that later, <laughs> it was always, always on time. And obviously, when I wanted to go back, I'm landing in Tokyo after my short trip to Vegas. And I look at Plane Finder, I got an alert, and the flight was en route to Paris. I'm like, what? It was supposed to be tomorrow. It was supposed to be my flight. So they changed the schedule and so I just switched back to a triple seven to London. So that's a disappointment. But well, what can I do? I'll have other chances. I hope so. <laughs> that's a heartbreaker. It really is. <laughs> Actually, the, the 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 lounge. You also went to the lounge. How how are the lounges? Um, they were okay. They were. I mean, again, first world problem. Blah blah yeah, blah. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> they were practical, but a little bit sterile. Like didn't have a whole lot of character. Um, but it was fine. Uh, so I was on the United uh, Lounge at Heathrow. I mean, I already said it before when we talked about the thing, when we talked about uh, Heathrow uh, like last year. But honestly, this is a fantastic lounge. Uh, we, we don't always appreciate United, but honestly, for that, they're really good. It's well, a very, good. very, very solid lounge. It's Terminal 2B Gates. Uh, on the way back, I was at the ANA lounge. It was also very solid. I really, they, it's true that they, again, in similar thing you just said, it's not in your face type of lounges there. But it was a very, very nice lounge. I, I had it at International Terminal the first time I, I tried it. And of course, there was a Star Wars arcade game there. So nice. <laughs> I, did, I didn't get to fly the Star Wars plane, but I got to play a Star Wars arcade game at the lounge. So that was actually pretty cool. Both airlines have just announced their earnings and actually made profits. It seems to have been a good year for them. Good for them. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely great. A and A, we haven't. I haven't seen how much A and A is paying for that Star Wars franchise in there, but I mean, <laughs> they're pulling all the stops with that. They really are. They're making a lo- the most of it. So there's one Star Wars plane that flies domestically. I think it's a seven six seven or seven three seven. There's that R two T two plane that I missed, the seven eight seven. But there will be. One or two more coming, including the BB-8, you know, that new small robot. So yep. that one, that will fly from 
uh, Japan to the US and back. So Alex, if you are in California, as you will be soon, you could just go to Tokyo. <laughs> exactly. I know you have the hitch to go oh, back to God, Tokyo. Big time. <laughs> Also, after going to Tokyo with you, I went quickly to Las Vegas for a friend's 40th birthday. That was very quick. It was 30 hours on the ground. It was a last minute decision. Doing with Miles, completely crazy. That is you know, completely what, crazy. What happens if Vegas stays in Vegas? I'm not going to discuss about that. So I went <laughs> through, I looked at many options. I wanted to fly Star Alliance, of course, because I have status and I could use my Miles. So I ended up flying uh, Singapore Airlines for the first time in a very, 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 very long time from Narita to uh, LAX. Uh, and then I flew Virgin America from Yay. LAX to LAX. So Singapore, the service also outstanding. I would almost say almost too hurried. So on one, oh, one of the trips I was, I was in um, business class. So you know these massive seats of, on the A380? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? They're great, but being 6'5", 195 centimeters, for those who of you who talk in metrics, I would recommend a few seats over others. They are, you know, you have to sleep in a very awkward way. You cannot sleep upright. You have to sleep in a diagonal on the seat. And when you're my height, it was not perfect. Again, first world problem. The bulkhead seats are not like that. You have a full uh, place for your feet. I would recommend those. I'll put a link in the show notes where which seats. That's interesting. I didn't fly. know that. I've flown on the that seat as well, and I'm certainly not as tall as you are. Did you like it? I, I did. The one thing I did I didn't like was there were so many little compartments and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and next cupboards. To the yeah. yeah, next to the screen. And I, I was terrified I was going to put something in there and then it would sort of disappear to Narnia. But um, <laughs> I think it's it it's, gives you a really good sense of privacy compared to a lot of other business class seats. Correct. And, and of course, as you say, the service is just out of this world. Yeah, the food was fantastic, actually. It was one of the best food I've ever tried uh, in, a, in an aircraft, actually. Yeah, it, it was really fantastic. So a 12 and a half hour flight, uh, again, a very long haul. So imagine on the way back, I did two in a row because I went back to Tokyo 12 and a half hours. And then the next morning, I had to go back to London 11 and 45 minutes. And I was, I'm still jet lagged to this to this uh, to I today. I believe it. <laughs> to be honest, the most... The thing that really threw me back because of my first time, maybe you've done it, is that international dateline change. You basically fly from Tokyo and you arrive after all these hours before you even took off. It's very strange. It's It's very disorienting. It, It really throws you off. It threw me off completely. And of course, you lose a day on the way back uh, since I did it that way. Actually, lucky me, because uh, if I had decided to fly through uh, the East Coast and then to uh, London, there would have been the blizzard in New York. Have you seen the, the pictures of Crazy. that massive snow? <laughs> so, yeah, actually, was lucky. lucky. I would have been you blocked. Were very lucky. And one thing, LAX, I was in the international terminal landing and, of course, departing. Honestly, they're putting a lot of money. Uh, in there, uh, it's becoming a very, very nice airport. Oh, good. I mean, finally, I'm, I'm gonna eat my hat. First of all, I've never got into the US. I'm on the ESTA waiver program, so the Visa waiver program. I've never entered the US as fast as that day. There were the machines, so there was no human interaction. I think it took me less than four minutes to actually get clear to enter the US. That was really fast. Never happened to be even at GFK. Now they also have the machines. So, yeah, well. Really impressive. And on the way back, so when I was flying back to Narita, the international sections where they have the duty-free is really, really nice. The checking section is really still old style. You're like, well, this is one of these American airports. But then it's actually pretty impressive. It's up to the standards of international airports. So kudos to LAX. And also kudos to Star Alliance because they have now a brand new uh, lounge at LAX. And my God, this is one of the best lounges I've ever been in my life. They have an outdoor section. We can see. Oh, wow. That's in LA. That makes a lot of sense. And you have inside, there's like a quiet section. There's like food. It's like really beautiful. There's also an indoor terrace. So you're overseeing that entire duty-free section that was telling you about. So no, it's. Really nice, a very pleasant surprise. Terminal 3 with Virgin America was more, you know, the usual <laughs> cubes that they do in the US. But my God, Virgin America, for the first time, <laughs> this is really a nice airline. My God. Wow. Yeah, and you were, you, you were on it for a very short flight as well. 
yeah, it's 45 minutes or something, right? The two things that that surprised me first, the booking, uh, when I booked it, it's the best ever booking experience I ever had in my life. My God, it's just so easy and understandable and fast and well designed. So online booking at Virgin America is a pure pleasure. So kudos to whomever designed that website. I think you know them, right? I, I don't know them personally, but they're a little uh, boutique web design shop in Brooklyn, in New York. And I agree, they have transformed the way that we book flights. I think they've done a phenomenal job. So if you, yeah, go and have a play around with the website. It's, it's just really, really well done. The check-in section was fantastic. There was music. It was really like kind of, this, uh, you know, a good feel. Although it was nothing, you know, in terms of design, it was nothing uh, spectacular. The, the atmosphere was great. And inside the plane, yeah, that's amazing. The one thing I wanted to ask you is that they have, it was a middle-of-the-day flight. So it was a 3.20 p.m. flight or something. They close all the shades at the windows. Yes. So why is that? Two, two, two reasons. Uh, and this is me. I don't know if this is official, but uh, so it's to show off the mood lighting, which is beautiful course, and spectacular and kind of set the tone. And also when the plane's sitting on the ground in the LA sunshine, it heats up the interior really, really quickly. Uh, so it's a way of keeping the plane cool while it's on the ground in some of the hotter locations. Okay, because it was, and I was like surprised, you know, and then nobody almost dared opening them. So it was like, oh, I am, I, am I in a night flight or something? I, I always am that guy that opens it. But uh, yeah, it's... Um, I will say that I gave myself a little gift on the way back. I was so tired after almost not sleeping in Vegas. So I upgraded myself to first class just to test it. It was not that expensive. And that also is a great product. I mean, it's totally useless for 45 minutes, to be very honest with you. But <laughs> it's it's really fantastic. The seats are white. And there's this mood lightning kind of you know, mauve or whatever. It's not... It, Kudos. It's a great, great, great airline. I would fly them. And actually, I got also miles on my Skywards on Emirates because I don't have any their program because I don't fly them enough uh, for Virgin. But uh, I had miles on Skywards. So it's actually pretty, pretty cool, actually. You know, very happy. Nice. So, yeah. Um, Marcus Volter was always uh, giving us uh, kudos and other messages either on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, said us in tweet said uh, lesson learned business class in Lufthansa A380 is much better in every way than United. Oh, <laughs> well, that's interesting feedback. Of well, I'm not a big fan of the A3 A3 new class on on Lufthansa, but actually it's it's clearly better than United. United is not <clears throat> that great. Uh, they, I would say that I still over the last few premium products I've done, the SAS one I've done to New York was probably one of the best outstanding ones, uh, probably even better than, uh, Singapore, which wow. is, is a lot. probably also because you know what Singapore were one of the first ones to introduce a new product on E3 and it's a little bit show their age, a product, you know, the buttons were not as responsive again, first of all problem again, but you know, you could see that the product is a few years old and, but they are looking into changing their products. So we'll see, but honestly, I cannot uh, uh, not recommend Singapore. It was one of the best, but interestingly, it's a fee firm route because the flight starts in Singapore, stops in Areta, takes some passengers and then, flies to LAX and does the same on the way back. Something that here in Europe, we have a problem with Emirates doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so talking about Airbus, will ANA buy A380s or not? And it seems they have. Yes, right? very exciting. So, so they've bought only three. So it's not as if they bought a lot. And they're not apparently the Skymarks ones because they will take delivery in 2019, which means they probably are brand new A380, not the Sky, you know, Skymark is this Japanese airline who was on the verge of bankruptcy and then had to ditch their orders. But they will get so it's the first time a Japanese airline will get an A380. That I don't understand. Why are they not the Skymark ones? Does that mean that somebody else is taking the Skymark ones? I don't know. Oh, you know what? Airbus is probably looking to sell at any cost A380 because although they say the, the program is break even, it's still not, you know, a great program. So they will, they might have a hard time selling them. You know, the, the, the same problem is happening with Boeing. They have the very early 787 that they cannot sell. And I'm not sure anyone wants them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. I don't know what the story is there. It's a, it's a, it's a weird one. But even bigger story for Airbus, Iran. Yeah, huge. 118 aircraft order. I think this was an inevitability. As soon as that deal, the nuclear deal was signed and a lot of the sanctions were dropped, then the floodgates were going to open for investment by 
by overseas companies. And this is a doozy. What did surprise me that it is all Airbus. And I think yeah. it smacks of a political deal here, but that, you know, that is what it is. Um, I, I told you when when we exchanged about that, I told you, but probably, you know, although the nuclear deal was made, we know that Congress is still like, ah, oh, should we add, add some more sanctions? I mean, they're like tiptoeing. Yeah. So probably also it's a safe bet saying, you know what, with Airbus, we're pretty sure to get the aircraft at the end of the day, whereas we're Boeing, there's suddenly new sanctions by Congress who might not get them in time. And their fleet is really old. They need to actually. They do. They're fleet. still running SPs and a lot of ancient airplanes. But this is... Uh, this is a huge order. 21 A320 CEOs, 24 NEOs or NEOs, 27 A330 CEOs, oh, 18 A3900 NEOs and 16 A350s and 12 A380s. That's crazy. That's they a hell of a 12, shopping list. 12 A380, that's the biggest order of A380 outside of Emirates. I mean, it's basically, it's fantastic news for, for Airbus. They must be really pleased with that. Yeah, it's it's incredible as well. And I think one of the other things to remember is that Iran Air, not the only Iranian airline, there's several others. So correct. with the sanctions being lifted, you may see a lot more orders come. In fact, I'm sure that you will see a lot more orders coming through. And it also shows some kind of, because buying 12 A380s and all these orders shows probably some ambitions as well, not, not only to replace their fleet, but probably also to look into, you know, making as a destination, yeah. probably maybe, maybe even on one day uh, down the line doing an Emirates type of thing, you know, saying, you know, they have a very similar situation geographically. Geographically, wise, absolutely. Uh, and they, they, uh, I read somewhere recently that they're already exploring putting flights back to the US, which would wow. be quite nice. the site. Yes, of course. It'll be great. And I'm very excited to finally right. check out Iran. There are now new also regulations for visas. So it's much easier to get there without visas. So uh, yeah. it's something great. that I will look into going uh, at some point. Not to test the airline, but just to go to see. Twitter. But I mean, great news for Airbus. Uh, we said that Airbus had done the earnings, so they must be very pleased with that. But at the same time, uh, the 350 has some hiccups uh, and uh, there are some delays because of the seats. Uh, yeah, this is uh, – Cathay are supposed to be getting delivery of the A350 this month, but they just came out and said that it's going to be delayed because of seat issues. Now, the the at least the business class suites are being made by Zodiac, and Zodiac have come in from a hell of a barrage from the CEO of Airbus for delays. And he did not pull any punches because they have apparently been the cause of some A330neo production delays. And so Airbus have deselected Zodiac as their cabin interiors manufacturer. So they basically wow. lost that contract, at least in the interim, because wow. of these delays. That is not a small thing. So it's, it's a blow for Zodiac, and it's probably, I mean, I mean, this is a story we've been hearing in the past six to eight months. There's really a, a glut problem here, and that, you know, Airbus cannot uh, allow themselves to have delays because of an outside provider. You know, they are selling shit tons of aircrafts, as we mentioned in the last show. So, you know, that's bad news for CX, and also bad news for the 350, because, you know, there's always this competition with Boeing. We'll come to Boeing in a few. A uh, few more news about uh, Airbus. Airbus is partnering with Uber for helicopters. It's not exactly flying, but we you mentioned, Alex, that you flew a helicopter from Nice to Monaco, was it? So there you go. Now Airbus is actually looking into having, if you use Uber instead of having a car, you could use also a copter. So it's interesting development. Yeah, very way. exciting. Probably very limited in number of cities. You'll have that. You probably have that in Dubai, Nice, um, maybe New York, a few cities. But there's not that many when it actually makes sense. But I mean, this is interesting. And for those who are like you and me, interested in the venture world, in the venture capitalist world, uh, Airbus is launching its own venture capitalist arm, Airbus VC. It would be interesting for us to look at what type of product they will come out. Will it be only B2C product? Would be better ways to book, better ways? Or will it be also stuff that happens in the background? Yeah, it because makes a lot of sense for them to jump into that space, doesn't it? Yeah, and a lot of corporates are doing that anyway, these these moments, right? They're like uh, a lot of corporates are jumping into doing VC arms or incubators in the valley, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's interesting. It's exactly what we love. We love learning about venture in the aerospace. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow up with that. Still on new jets. Uh, sorry, guys, we're talking about, because we're very geeky to this episode, we're talking about a lot of aircrafts. 
the big buyer of jets is Emirates. Emirates will buy 37 new jets this year, A380s and 777s, as that we know. The interesting bit is that we know that they had canceled an order for the A350. If you look at what they're buying, like say, well, basically they will become a pure play 380 777. Yeah. But apparently they are studying, again, the 350-900 and 350-1000 and also the Dreamliner. It's interesting. It seems like every other show we talk about a new Emirates order. I mean, they buy an extraordinary (laughs) amount of airplanes and... So they just tacked on another 37. Whether whether and where the A350 and 787 slot into their their fleet plans, I don't I don't really know, but I do know that they have all those A330s and 340s and a few older 777s that they're in the process of retiring. So I, I suppose it would fit in, in that slot. And still talking about uh Airbus A330 200. So Portugal, Tap Portugal, we had that story that you found that Azul and Tap Portugal were partnering, but that goes even beyond partnering now. It seems like it's almost the same airline. Yeah, they, I, I mean, I, we kind of figured that this would happen, that the consolidation would happen very, very quickly between these these two carriers. And it's just been announced that Tap is going to have the, well, basically identical interiors across all their cabins for their long-haul fleets as, as Azul, which, again, makes a lot of sense. They can use a little bit more of the uh, the buying power when they're working with Zodiac because these do look like Zodiac seats. So <laughs> they're going to have to <laughs> wait a while for these seats. But uh, yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. That's one of the many reasons why you do a, a consolidation like this. But they look great. The designer, our friends over the designer have done a really good job of, of this, but they look like great seats. Uh, talking about seats, I forgot to mention the interesting bit about ANA is that their seat is not from one of the main providers that we keep talking about. It's a Japanese, they own their own design, a bit like uh, Turkish, really? their own design. Yeah, apparently it's their own design. I was trying to look them up. Great seat. Uh, I mean, you know, if you go into the nifty gritty details, you could say it's not the best for a few reasons, but it's a very nice seat. Japanese airlines have this history of, of always trying to get Japanese providers for their own products. So I don't know about JAL, but I mean, it's interesting that they have, they've, they've gone this way. I even think Clever. it belongs to ANA. It's an ANA design. So they it's could not- license it just like Virgin Atlantic uh, were the ones that came up with that kind of herringbone design that I think uh, Air New Zealand and a few others licensed Air Canada. The, 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 the funny bit is the table, you know, where the tray table in a business seat is actually located under the screen in front of you. So when you are, for instance, still on a takeoff, I mean, you're not supposed to put your tray table out, obviously, but if you you know, unclick it, basically the table comes to you because it's actually sliding. Cool. Uh, comes- <laughs> I took a video of that. I should put it up on the show notes if I have the time to, because of course I film everything in the. Oh, the other thing we mentioned was it hot in the plane at Charl? No, the temperature was good. Yeah, because ANA was crazy hot, and this is thing they always say that uh, Japanese airlines are hotter than others in terms of temperature. Really? Uh, I prefer. So Singapore was not. Of course, it was a long flight. I was at the back in the plane, but I prefer having to have a layer. Rather than suffering, you know. Plus, now in these long haul, you don't you don't have the the little air thing, you know, when you can actually. No, uh, I know that. I don't like that. Yeah, so it was uh, that. I was it was too hot. ANA, please reduce a little bit of temperature, and it's winter, et cetera, et cetera. But I was really too hot in, in the plane. So going to uh, Boeing, the other big one. Uh, so finally, uh, seven thirty seven MAX Max has had his maiden flight. Yes, and it all went swimmingly, which is great news. You, you always want these things to go well. So this is Boeing's competitor to the A320neo and it had its first flight just last week. It's a it's a very I mean it's it doesn't look too much different than a normal 737. It's got that that raked um engine cowling uh the kind of shark teeth engine cowling on the back which looks mm-hmm. fantastic and of course the scimitar winglets if you get a chance go and look at the interior photos of that flight because it's where where the seats would be in a normal passenger cabin it's just loaded with workstations and and testing Screens equipment and, yeah. yeah it's very very cool so southwest airlines is the launch customer for these guys uh and they will get i think Third or fourth quarter of 2017, all being well. So long, long testing cycle, but uh, great to see it finally in the air. 
And great news for us because, uh, again, we love you, Airbus, but I want to see something else in an A320. <laughs> yeah. So I hope a lot of European airlines also buy the 737 MAX just to experience yeah, I something different. Yeah, I don't different. know. I mean, obviously, I think Ryanair are going to have a load of them, but I don't yeah, know if anybody yeah. else is other, outside of the U.S. Is, uh, has bought them yet. I'm sure they have. It'll be a very successful airplane. So Boeing announced its results. Well, they were okay, I mean, but uh, immediately after they announced their results, the the stock stumbled a little bit. It's so so Apple, it was it's not like... as it was not as great as Airbus. I mean, basically because they said that they will probably produce slightly less aircraft this year than in 2015. Yeah, and I mean, the stock performance is bizarre. <laughs> it's like Apple. It's like record-setting profits and margins and sales. Oh well, we're still gonna not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> not good enough. One of the things, so, I mean, it's very, very interesting to read through these results and liamnews.com always do such a good job of, of analyzing them, breaking out the, the key details. Two things that really jumped out at me. The first is the 787 program is already profitable. Wow. Last year, last quarter of last year, it's just, it, it, uh, is now cash positive, which is amazing. It tells you a lot. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that 7879 deliveries will greatly exceed 7878 deliveries. So that, that model, the the nine series, seems to have really hit a sweet spot with operators. I think the investors, again, the stock market is always, you know, kind of have its own life sometimes. But I think that the, the the investors were a bit worried that basically not that Boeing will have less aircraft built, but that basically they won't be able to fulfill orders as fast as they should, and that would be, maybe entice some penalties and stuff like that. And that's maybe what they worried about. I mean, again, you know, stock was just the day after. It will recover. I'm not, yeah. I, and we're not financial analysts here, but it seems though that if you look at the press after Airbus and the press after Boeing, the news after Airbus was slightly more upbeat than Boeing. Yeah, it doesn't say much. And but. I don't understand because one of the things they announced was that they were increasing 737 production to 57 a month. Well, that's a lot, right? <laughs> that's incredible, and somehow that was interpreted as a negative. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't get it. But quickly going back to the to the max, seventeen hundred orders already they've had for that so, airplane. Wow. We won't see too many. I mean, Norwegian Airlines have, uh, or Norwegian Air Shuttle, as their regional subsidiary is called, have ordered a hundred. Of course, Ryanair have ordered a hundred as well. So we'll see a few of them in Europe, but but not too many. Yeah, well, that's the rule of the game. I mean, fewer Airbus in the U.S., though, again, you know, uh, Virgin America, A320. Uh, yes. I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm not going to complain about that one because it's a great, 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 probably one of my favorite flights I took in 2015, so kudos to Virgin America. Nice. I know I repeat oh, myself, but that is, you know, it's really, really nice. We said that Boeing was supposed to build the Air Force One new aircraft with a 747 frame. Actually, it's been confirmed because now they've actually even got cash for it. So basically... At least there are new 747s being built, even the Air Force One, and I doubt that either Alex or myself would be able to fly one of these. <laughs> Though you never know, right? Yeah, I mean, you never know. know. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> exactly. So let's hope that one day we do that. Uh, Swiss just took delivery of its uh, first uh, 777-300ER. This was announced that they will get them, I think it was July last year. Why I mentioned that, of course, first of all, I'm, I'm Swiss and then I fly Swiss a lot. Their new product is seems really fantastic. I said at the top of the show that SAS were probably one of the best products I've ever flown on Star Alliance. Singapore was just below probably the new product of uh, Swiss, uh, the premium product, might be the one that will change that ranking. So they are launching very few routes at the beginning uh, since I might have to go to Hong Kong in April and that Swiss might launch Zurich to Hong Kong in April, I will try to fly them. I hope so. And I will obviously uh, report, but it looks great. And we will invite, uh, like we said last time, and since we've been traveling, we didn't have time to uh, organize the guests. We'll, we'll invite Johnny from the designer to talk about all these uh, products, interiors and stuff, because he tries everything and he knows better than us. Absolutely. You mentioned it was your favorite video when we talked about it a few episodes ago that your son loved it. Yes, he uh, does. It's a video of Swiss, an A321 flying with a Patrouille Suisse, which is the jet demonstrations uh, of Switzerland along a ski race. That video is already up online, but now on the Swiss Facebook page, they've actually done the same uh, 360 videos. So if you so like 360 cool. videos and if you like aircrafts and great videos you should look at it we'll put the link in the 
Show notes. Uh, the other thing that they've announced is that they will have internet in all classes. That's something that's becoming fast, something that people expect. Did you have Wi-Fi on Jal? We did. It wasn't free, but it was very affordable for the whole flight. I think it was like 18 US dollars for a, for a 12-hour flight. So that's what? very reasonable. And you know what? So it, was, it was through T-Mobile. And one of the things that was super interesting to me was that it got your location spot on no matter where you were. Ordinarily, when you use a location... There's no uh, location. There's yeah, no location. It's like you're either where you started or where, you're, or where right. the service is based. But And the only reason why I figured this out was I took a bunch of pictures and then scrolling through the pictures, it showed the location and the location was absolutely spot on. So it was it was really neat to kind of play with. And then you can do Google Maps and see yourself yeah. <laughs> flying across <laughs> the earth. Um, so I didn't have I didn't have any uh, Wi-Fi ANA on the way to Tokyo. On the way back, there was. It was not as cheap as yours. It was so limited that I ended up not doing because I think really? I'm going to do five emails. So it's going to be full. Plus, it was a bit slow. Obviously, I just wanted to put a, a picture of the takeoff. Uh, uh, so it was just after the takeoff. Uh, Singapore Airlines also on both uh, ways from Narita to LAX had uh, Wi-Fi. It was interesting because I wanted to see, okay, we're right in the middle of nowhere above the Pacific. Would it work? And actually, it did. It was kind of slow, but actually worked. I bought, I'll tell you, it was uh, 15 mega megabytes. It's like nothing. That cost me $7. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's still not that affordable. But again, it's like maybe to download all your emails and then you go offline and reply to them or something, right? So I'm not, <laughs> do not expect to do uh, to watch YouTube videos or streaming of Alex flying no, from, uh, that's from just, <laughs> is, a job. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> The other battle of the skies uh, between Airbus and Boeing, but it's also a pride thing, is who will have the longest flight, you know, with the ultra long haul that we call nowadays uh, for a very long time. Of course, it was Singapore uh, Airlines from Newark to Singapore. We talked about that with you know, their special, but they had like... If in case you die, they have like a morgue or something. That's right. Yeah, they got that one body uh, chamber or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so now there's a bunch of new announcements because, of course, again, it's pride and also because the new aircraft, as a few of them we mentioned, allow for this. I mean, no particular orders. First, uh, United, it's strangely enough, will st- start uh, San Francisco to Singapore on a 787-900. That's 15 hours and uh, 50 minutes. Uh, would you fly that? No, not on United. <laughs> so yeah, that's the longest 787 flight in the world yeah, and the yeah. longest by any US carrier anywhere in the world. Yeah. On any plane. So Yeah, that's uh No, thank a, you. It's uh 8446 uh, miles flights. So it is really really long. Uh you might I don't know if I want to take that either. I'm on Star Alliance, so I could, but honestly, I have no doubt I would do it. I'd rather choose Singapore from LAX to be honest with you. Qatar is announcing uh, Doha to Auckland. That's 9,034 miles. That goes for 18 hours. Oh, God. What is the routing for that? How does that even happen? I, I'm Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, Emirates had just announced the same, but due to geography, I think Doha is slightly further along than Dubai, so they win on that. So I'm saying it's a pride thing, like, oh, our flight is like a few miles more. So it's just, Jeez. all these flights will be done at a 777-200 uh, long range uh, with a specific uh, long range one. So, but the interesting bit in here is that between the 787, between the 777-LR, it shows that we will probably have direct flights from Europe to Australia pretty soon. It's possible. Yeah, Actually, think- Tim, Tim Clark had mentioned, uh, I think it was last year, that he wanted to do uh, Sydney to Rome. That's 20 hours. <laughs> Alex is not. <laughs> no, that's just a long time to be on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Very quickly, the roundup. Uh, Singapore might relaunch their route I just mentioned. They used to do it on an A340, but that was, you know, the fuel consumption was so high. But they might actually do it when they get the A350-900 ULR. So that's really by far the longest because it's almost 10,000 miles, so almost <laughs> more than 15,000 kilometers. Second would be from Doha to Auckland. Then it will be Emirates from Dubai to Auckland. There will be Emirates from Dubai to Panama. 
there that Air India from Bangalore to San Francisco, if it goes through, and then Qantas, which is the current longest one, Qantas from Dallas to Sydney, that's uh, almost 17 hours. It's most of them, and that's interesting, most of them that are 777-200 or A380s. So like the 787 from United will be interesting, will be a new player in the game. But we'll see more and more of these flights. It is interesting that... Tim Clark is mentioning Sydney to Rome because that would bypass Dubai as a hub. Ah. Yeah. So, you know, they are really looking into expanding way more than just bringing people to uh, Dubai. Fees. Uh, that's also something we absolutely love. Uh, <laughs> <paying> <laughs> fees, especially now that the oil price is so low, it's hit the barrels, hit like almost like $30, which is really, really low. But the fees, are they leveling out or not? Yeah, they are leveling out. There's a great Quartz article about this. And, you know, year on year, they've gone up since basically like 2006. My theory on this is because they've run out of things to charge us for, you know? <laughs> so, of course, they're leveling out. But also they've got, because, of, as you said, oil has come down so low that they're they can squeeze the yeah, profit margins really, elsewhere. They're not really changing the price of the, the, no, the ticket because of not. the oil thing, right? They're absolutely not. Yeah, There's been like, no significant change in I mean we haven't had a full year's worth of data of course since oil really tanked, but yeah, plus, you know, people uh, companies hedge their bets so they uh, they buy uh, futures of oil so to kind of block the price for a long time. So they have to got out of these contracts before they got out of the current contract that they probably are negotiating already. So, But I still doubt that they will actually lower the price for yeah, us. No, I don't, really don't think they and, uh, will either. But this is a good analysis. It's worth, it's worth reading. Oh, I just forgot. I just wanted to mention when we mentioned the ultra long haul that miles are – Probably the best factor, either in kilometers or miles, to actually understand how long is a flight. Though the actual rides might change, it's never the one that is actually predicted. But what is not predictable is the time, because you have flights that look smaller but take longer because of the direction of the planes. Yes, so, and the winds yeah, and all and that. And the winds, et cetera, and how the climate. So if they go from north to south and east-west, it's very different. So the ranking I gave were the rankings of the distance and other rankings of the time in a plane. Though I'll try one of these at one of these days. I want to try, but of course, if I do that, I'll spend all my miles being business. There's no way I do a 20-hour flight in economy, crying out now. Yeah. So you and me are big fans of uh, smart luggage. Not. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, well, there was this story, maybe you want to run with it, that that we were suspecting. You know, we were talking that, you know, if you had one of these smart luggages that has batteries and whatever gizmo in it will have problems in an emerging country airport what happened this so this lady who was heading to ces in vegas had a smart i just don't even like saying the word uh smart luggage smartphone controlled carry-on luggage from blue smart and she was going through security and the tsa had obviously seen something on the x-ray and were like we need to we need to look at this so they took her through their to the side and did the the swabbing, the explosive swab thing. And then they started asking her where you're going and pulling her all this stuff out. And then they opened up this Velcro panel on the side of this smart suitcase and there were just exposed wires. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell is this? Where does this go to? And of course, if you're a TSA agent, your mind's thinking exposed wires that are badly hidden in a suitcase. With a battery next to it with that a you battery cannot remove. Exactly. Because they asked, or can you remove the battery? She said, nope. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly what we said was going to happen. This is just, these things do not and will not work. They, if, And of course, the Blue Smart response was, oh yeah, exposed wirings were a bad idea. We should hide the wires completely. It's like, you dummy, they're still going to show up on an x-ray. Yeah, yeah. And then absolutely. you're really going to have problems because it looks like you've concealed wires in a, in a bag and you can't take them out and you don't know why they're there. And we really expected that. Uh, we, so I have a friend that is currently using that Blue Smart around the world and he's flying like Alex and me in various emerging countries as well. And I was telling him, tell me as soon as you have a problem in I don't know, India or, you know, but I was not expecting that it would happen uh, in North America, but it did. And it's exactly what we said. There's no way out. There's a battery there crying out. <laughs> yeah, it's just not a good idea. Yeah, I don't think that that will change. I mean, we'll see if that whole craze about uh, 
craze, at least in the small geek world of uh, startups, whatever, if that craze dies out or I not, so. that's, yeah. There was an article in The Economist that was pretty spot on about that. I'll put the link in the show notes where basically said that, you know, very few will succeed out of all these new craze. And he said the best idea that was made in the past 15 years was basically was this carry-on for kids when they can actually sit on it in small wheels. My son had one of those and loved it. It's the, because that's a perfect idea. You know that your kids will not probably want to have a big luggage. But at the same time, you know, when you have kids, you want to say, hey, you can sit and have fun with it. It's, yeah. it that was, it's a brilliant, simple idea. It doesn't need to have a lot of gizmos to be. But still, maybe one of those guys will make it big with a smart carry-on and will eat our hat. But I think it's still a far way to go. Talking about apps, uh, not to control a carry-on, but so I've continued using all these apps, TripIt, WorldMate, Kayak, uh, TripCase, etc. on my little adventure. And I just wanted to update you. So, so I arrived in LAX with Singapore and I had to fly with Virgin America. Since I didn't know LAX well, I planned for like five-hour layover. And since it took me nothing to come into the US, I said, okay, I went to, the, to Virgin. I said, can I have an earlier flight? Took an earlier flight. And then I said, okay, I'm going to try to change this uh, to put that on these various apps. TripIt, very easy. All the others, almost impossible. So on TripCase, you have to delete a flight and re-add a flight. On WorldMate, you cannot simply change a flight at all. Interestingly, on Google, since you know Google actually simply takes the emails that you have in your inbox, since I didn't get a, an email to, to, for the change, it wouldn't have actually reflect my new flight. So these are still a little shortcomings that they should think about. So still TripIt, you know, probably, again, maybe not the best design, but it works the best out of all of this. Also, interestingly, on TripIt Pro, I got, for the first time, alerts that I could get a better deal. So I flew a Virgin and suddenly told me, oh, Paul, you know what? The price of that flight has gone low. Uh, you could actually change your flight and actually get a discount and I would actually pay off your TripIt Pro annually. So that's cool. pretty smart that they track this. So first time, maybe it's only for the US, I don't know, because I never had it elsewhere, but it's interesting to have it. TripIt and LaunchBuddy are finally integrated. So now within TripIt, you can actually use LaunchBuddy and find uh, access to lounges. We're still not sure about LaunchBuddy, about the pricing, but it's, it shows that TripIt is still iterating. Yeah. So they're still doing stuff. So to be honest, Although I love the others, especially TripCase, I, I have a very soft spot for them. They're not up to TripIt completely yet, not so yet. Uh, but they, they should. I hope that TripIt gets a run for its money pretty soon. The other big craze is all these concierge apps, you know, and there's a new one called Hyper. I didn't try it. Did you? I haven't tried it, but looking at it, it looks like a nice blend of human and algorithm. Exactly. So you, you want to run with it? Yeah, It's so I'm not actually sure who who makes it or where it came out of but it's not fully automated like siri or anything that's purely algorithm based and it's not like uh what is it called operator that came out of the guys that that funded uber expa but it's this kind of blend uh it's a text-based kind of smart travel assistant so you can say i need a flight that gets me to you know geneva for a meeting at 11 a.m but gets me back in time to put the kids to bed and it can be as sort of natural language as that, and they will go and find all the flights for you that make that make sense. And it, they use travel experts to kind of hone the response of the of the algorithm so that you get something that is is absolutely spot on. And again, I haven't used it, but it looks like it looks like it could be pretty pretty slick, and it's been getting good reviews. And they say that they would be like you just said. Uh that they would have the ability to manage very complex routings, which is stuff that you and me do sometimes. So I might try them to see like, oh, uh, your trip that you're doing in April, you could say, oh, I want to fly from there to yeah. there to there to there to uh, Shanghai and a side trip there and let, let's see what they what they come up with. So, yeah, I could yeah, absolutely. Find me the cheapest one world business class flight to Singapore back from Shanghai leaving from these five cities and then watch it go, I'm sorry, we were unable to process your request. <laughs> <laughs> but what, they, what, what the, the article says it is true is that it requires, for especially for complex routings, we use tons of websites and it, it could be simpler and it just isn't. There's no silver bullet. There's no like, oh, Google Flight Solve is all. No, not we, quite. We, I, we use so many different websites. And of course, and then it's dynamic. Every day we go and say, oh, yesterday doesn't apply anymore. I have to look again and have to try again. <laughs> it takes forever. Yeah. and But we like that, but still. Yeah. And it, yeah, absolutely. But there's no one who's, who's completely nailed it. 
Have you decided which airline you're gonna fly? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But I have. I've been using Google Flight saved flights options to keep an eye on the price because the one flight I did want to pull the trigger on has jumped 900 pounds. So, oh god, I'm trying to see what what happens there. But here's an interesting thing: it's a shortcoming in almost every single OTA and flight search tool is that you can't search mixed cabin flights. So yes. let's say I want to fly yes. out in business and return premium economy. You can't do that. The only one that will let you do that is ITA Matrix. I think um, there's another one. Was it Momondo? I'll check. But yeah, it's true that it's com- it's overly complicated sometimes. Yes. The other thing I dislike, for instance, is that you, you specify what are the times you want to fly out and what are the flight you want to you land. And sometimes you say, I want to land only in the morning. And suddenly the OTA displays you the plus one and plus two days in the morning. So I'm like, no, this is not what I wanted. I just want, you know, the shortest one and the next morning, not the morning in five days, right? Yes. <laughs> so sometimes you can see that some of the little stuff, I know we are outliers. Most people just buy return flights and we are creating these complex routings. But none of the websites we've been using has totally solved it. So, yeah. I think there's 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 room there because I think a lot of business travelers would have complicated routings as well. And almost always the answer from from people is you have to call the airline. Yeah. So the airlines can do it through their own reservation systems. We just can't do it through OTAs. Yeah, and the airline will also push their own alliance, and maybe you want to mix stuff, and you cannot really mix them. So yeah, it's not. There's no. Yeah, there's room. I agree. Maybe we should just create a layover OTA. There you are. Oh uh, yeah, we'll do a great job <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, we'll see also where it goes because Facebook has launched an SDK for Messenger, so it's a secret SDK. So basically, you can already. I think it's only the US or an Uber by just chatting to Uber on a Messenger. We'll see probably uh, a lot of other consumer service will be directed through Messenger. Messenger is, uh, Facebook has announced its earnings as Messenger is actually skyrocketing. A lot of people are using it more and more. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes uh, as well. You mentioned the last episode that there was an app that allows to uh, swap seats. And I think it's actually now out. It's called SeatSwap. So basically, Alex and me are flying in the same aircraft, in the same cabin, uh, we want to swap seats if we're both at the service, we can. But I still have a hard time thinking that you need a lot of people for it to actually work, right? Yeah, I think you need a lot of, absolutely. You need to have at least, obviously, one other person on your flight. There's an adoption issue here because if I, I, I I'll downloaded it, I haven't tried it yet. But if after five or six times I don't find anyone to swap a seat with, basically I'll give up. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. I think the challenge will be getting that initial burst of people who do it and finding somebody because it's, I mean, they've got a really good and detailed FAQ here. I still think that there's a gray area around paying money to swap a seat that the airline is not involved in. Yeah. At least if it actually grows, maybe some of the airlines will uh, crack down on it or implement that themselves. You know, United could say, oh, you want to swap seats? Here you go through our own service. So maybe that's something that Swapseed could look into, try to sell our technology to directly to airlines, and the airlines could actually. Uh, because there was the, uh, an article that was pretty nice in the Economist, titled uh, "Should Flyers Be Moved to Unused Premium Economy Seats?" So basically, the point is, more often than not, you fly, and if you don't have status, you see that, for instance, premium economy is empty, and you're like, "Why don't they allow me to go there?" Yeah. Or why they make me pay a lot of money to get upgraded? Because anyway, it's it's empty. And uh, the article finishes by saying that uh, airlines more and more will go into a short-term bidding because for the moment, you remember we talked about my experience with uh, Etihad where I was able to bid for an upgrade, but that was a week before and the bidding stopped 48 hours before my flight. Here would be like, oh, I'm still in the cab to the airport and I can still bid to get upgraded. And that would be uh, maybe something that will offer a better seat management for for the airlines it's a a good idea and i think it's something a lot of people would take i would i would too being six five sometimes this is why i'm using my miles but i'm lucky to have all these miles and have status sometimes only because i have status they will upgrade me or sometimes just i can use my miles but for someone who's not flying as much as we are it would be nice sometimes to say you know what i'll pay 25 bucks just give me a better seat i don't even need the food i just need more legroom or something right and i I would definitely pay a lot for that a lot uh a lot of times for this. The New Yorker article that made the rounds in the past uh, week was called Airhead. Basically, is the advent of the internet making air travel irrelevant? Your take? No. <laughs> of course not. End of story. <laughs> I mean, it's a beautifully written article. Of course it is. It's the New Yorker. But 
I don't know. I think I, I don't even get what he's trying to say or she, I don't, yeah, he, Nathan Heller. It's kind of like you know, when, when traveling and flying was romantic, blah, 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 blah. Gone are the days, blah, 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 blah. The usual stuff, yeah. But I just don't think he's trying hard enough to really yeah. enjoy it. And I guess like, flying can be a miserable, miserable experience, but you still have to pause and go, I'm doing 600 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the earth in a metal tube. That's incredible. I agree. And it's actually cheap. Uh, there's yeah. this, this story <laughs> that I really found fascinating. There's this uh, guy in the UK that claims he saved cash. Instead of going uh, from uh, Sheffield to Essex by train, he went from Sheffield to Essex via Berlin by a low-cost yeah. career, and it was less expensive. That was a great, great article. I really enjoyed that. But I mean, it shows you that air travel for oil is sometimes the miserable experience you may have is really cheap. Yes. I mean, come on. The guy was going through Berlin. I mean, he, he admits, by the way, he doesn't say that this is something he would do every day. He says, you know, it was more of an experiment. But it really shows you that it's really cheap to fly, yeah. especially in the same continent nowadays. It's like a cab fare or something. It's it was an, it was a very amusing uh, takedown. Talking about uh, low cost, your red is finally somewhere. You were so unhappy that Cathay Pacific uh, ditched the red, but actually the red it was saved for something special. Yes, and I guess this now makes a lot of sense. They have clearly been planning this for a long time, so. Cathay Pacific obviously has re, not rebranded. They've come up with a new livery and, and corporate identity that uh, it's, a, it's a bit dull, but it is what it is. And they've lost this beautiful red line that went down the, the fuselage and part of the tail. Well, it turns out that Dragonair, their, their regional subsidiary, has been rebranded to Cathay Dragon and is hmm. all red. Uh, well, red tail and uh, red titles. And it still has a dragon on the front, which is good because it was a very cool uh, feature. Yeah, yeah, logo. I think it looks good. I think it's a nice splash of color. It is very similar to Turkish Airlines. Yeah, it looks right. Yeah, and uh, a little bit of Qantas, but that's okay. Uh, doesn't doesn't really matter. So they're not integrating the airlines. They're operationally they're still separate entities, but it's it's more of a of a branding thing. And since uh, we were in Germany just before with that blogger who went to Berlin. The, the minute we talked about that Etihad Air Berlin story in the last episode, the story changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they won this this battle uh, in the courts to allow them to code share with with Etihad. So Etihad and, and Air Berlin get to to continue this partnership for the rest of the winter schedule, which I think goes through March. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this was disputed in the courts, and then a higher court overturned it. So, and it's important to point out that Etihad own nearly thirty percent of Air Berlin, so right. it's a natural thing for them to want to partner with something that they own quite a sub substantial stake in. But yeah, as you say, it's always the way we go. Okay, click end of story, and then all of these updates happen. But so you know, that's the thing <laughs> with the weekly newscast. I talked, I think, last episode of how. Etihad was introducing uh, its own aircrafts to go to the U.S. instead of using Jet Airways. And one of our Twitter followers, Eric Hoffman, the husband in tow, that's his uh, Twitter handle, uh, wrote a blog post last year and he showed it to me. So I'll, I'll put it in the show notes about the expectations of, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm buying an Etihad ticket and then I end up being in a Jet Airways aircraft. That's not that great, honestly. No. So, yeah, it's, I understand. He, he said that he used uh, miles. So for him, there was not such a letdown. But imagine if you pay $3,000 to fly premium on Etihad and you end up in an older Jet Airways with a much worse seat. You know, must not be very happy. So Etihad, you know, they're buying a lot of stakes in other airlines, but they have to be careful about that. Yes, absolutely, because that's not cool. So quickly, uh, an update. Uh, terrorism, not terrorism, terrorism, not terrorism, terrorism, not terrorism. We still don't know, but apparently now it, the story goes even worse and blurry in, in Egypt. Yeah, so the Egypt, uh, yeah, this, this is this is weird. It's like a bad movie. I mean, not to, to, to take away anything from the lives that were lost, of course, but it's now appears that that Russian airliner that was uh, quote-unquote bombed in October was done by an Egypt air mechanic. The device was put on the, on the plane by an Egypt air mechanic whose cousin joined Islamic State and trained him to do this. 
It's like you couldn't make this stuff up. No. It's extraordinary. But and they, they, apparently they, they, he's been they still say it's not terrorism. So it's very yeah, so hard how does to that read. even work? Yeah, the, the Egyptians have come out and made this claim, but also said it's not terrorism. So it's really hard to read. <laughs> it's impossible to figure out what the heck is going on because you're right. This it, it has gone quiet. We haven't heard much about this or the or the Air France issue in Mauritius or any of that. It's all gone quiet. Talking about the opposite of quiet, there was a sonic boom the other day. What was that about? Yes, in New Jersey, a sonic boom picked up incredibly by the United States Geological Service. They're the ones who monitor for earthquakes. And their (laughs) equipment picked up this sonic boom in New Jersey. And the U.S. government have said, yes, yes, we were responsible for it and have said very little about it other than that. Uh. So... There was a, uh, I don't know if it was a scramble to intercept something that perhaps, you know, some wayward 172 pilot who got lost. So that happens more often than you think. But quite alarming, I would have thought. Uh, alternative theories, too. First, uh, there was a fist fight between uh, crew members on a Delta flight. So that might be that. They were so loud <laughs> that they created a static boom. But honestly, come on, crews actually getting to a fist fight. <laughs> oh, that's that's real? That really happened? Yeah. Uh, it, it, should have, yeah it should have been, you know, usually it's like a passenger who does some brawl or whatever. And he has to be, she has to be controlled. But in that case, actually, a two Delta flight attendant was that's to a fist fight. That's and the other theory is that they're already testing that crazy plane that uh, I don't think will ever happen. That would take you, I think, what, from London to San Francisco in 11 minutes or something? But, oh, the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. Like, I, know, I, love, <laughs> I love how you react to that because, yeah, so just for people who read that kind of stories, that might never happen. It was New York to London in 11 minutes. You know what? If that happens, it would be wonderful. I just don't see it happening. And uh, a final story, if you want to be quiet and not have fistfights, bring a turkey in a plane. Apparently, it has happened. Uh, I found that on Reddit. Uh, you know, you're, you're allowed to bring uh, a therapy pet in the plane, and, and that person had a turkey. And there's a picture on Reddit. I don't know what to say about that. I, I thought I've seen it all, but no. Yeah, I, turkeys can be quite aggressive animals from what I understand. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Thanksgiving, we'll figure yeah. that's the only thing I know about turkeys. So, Haneda, how was your experience at Haneda? Yeah, good. Very efficient. It was older than I thought it would be. I don't know why I expected some kind of futuristic space age uh, <laughs> airport. But it is cool because you do have that runway that was built out onto the sea and, and and everything. And of course, getting in as you, you know, we were so lucky to have you kind of Sherpa us through the whole process to get into into the center of Tokyo. By far the best way is that wonderful monorail, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you're kind of zipping through. Our friend Joseph Tame said that it was very much like Blade Runner. You're kind of at night, you're zipping through Absolutely, yeah. uh, all of the buildings. But very, very cool. I liked my time there. It's a very big airport, but for international passengers, it's actually not. It's the first time I went into that new because believe it or not, it's actually pretty new international terminal. It only caters for maybe 10 million passengers out of 75 million. So imagine Haneda is actually a domestic, one of the biggest uh, airports in the world, but almost everything is domestic. The absolute opposite of uh, Narita, which we'll cover one day. This uh, terminal was built or rebuilt, I think, in 2010. It's pretty small, so it's actually pretty easy. The, I didn't have a lot of time to wait on immigration, did you? No, not yeah, at all. It was pretty okay. The same thing on the way out. It was also pretty easy, straightforward. I mentioned that the a lounge was pretty great as well. So no, it's, it's a nifty... A small terminal. It connects through our bus shuttle to the two terminals, Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. One is for ANA, the other is for JAL and other airlines, obviously. Uh, These are far bigger. Uh, They fly you everywhere in Japan. We kept mentioning all throughout the, the episodes of this show these very busy routes that are domestic routes in Japan, they all fly from Haneda. So if you want to ever fly a 747 uh, domestic, that's where you, you will have to fly from. Yep. I flew both terminals uh, when I used to live there, so my information is a bit passe, but they were very nice. They also refurbished them, and they're still pushing ahead with that because they have the Olympics coming up in 2020. The only thing I would say, be careful, if you don't fly uh, JAL or ANA, internationally I'm talking about, although they both land uh, at an international terminal as well, 
most of the other airlines arrive very late at night. Oh, that's because again, for a long time, Haneda was only a domestic. We're not talking about pre-78 when Narita was open, but it was meant to be a purely domestic airport. And now they're pushing again towards international, but the slots are very limited for international uh, airlines, which, by the way, explains why probably ANA is buying A380s because they can deal with capacity or international flights uh, by, by, by a big, big plane. So I'm saying that because that monorail that Alex just mentioned to you stops at, I think the last train is 11 or 11.30, and you have flights landing at 11.20, 11.30, and you're out of luck. There's no more trains. You have to take a cab. So it's still the best airport to fly to in Tokyo because it's much closer to the city than Narita. But be aware that there might not be a train depending on what time you arrive. So be careful about that when you book. But it's still a fantastic airport to work. It's nothing fancy. There's a nice section for uh, duty-free if you want to bring uh, souvenirs and other stuff. Uh, so yeah, a- that's what I, I, I did find that uh, the shopping was not was not great. Like yeah. If you want like no crazy right. stuff from a Japanese convenience store. Buy them before you fly. Basically. Buy them before you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, there is slightly better. The the two other terminals, you also have a lot of shops. They're pretty, actually, they are, these are pretty cool. Of course, it's domestic. So unless you fly uh, within Japan, you'll never experience them. So very nice airport. And of course, it is when you fly, when you fly the monorail. Of course, you don't fly the monorail, although it's almost technically flying. When you're on the monorail, you have fantastic views of planes landing. The landing is pretty cool as well. My takeoff was fantastic because we took off. We saw the entire Tokyo, and as soon as we're above the clouds, I saw a very clear view of Mount Fuji. So that was freaking fantastic, something you don't get from Narita. So yeah, very cool airport. Now that Alex has experienced it, I know it will go back. Yes, I, I'm chomping at the bit to go back. And next time, try Narita, so we'll cover that one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any flights coming up? Probably not before we we record again. I am going to New York and Boston in about two and a half weeks. I'm flying to Athens uh, this week. We're recording on uh, Monday, February 1st. I'm flying to Athens and back this week, so we'll have another show before you fly to the U.S. Looking forward to it. Safe travels. All right. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.